0: Your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the bestseller experiment where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish, and publish your book.
1: I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark State. And as always, a whopping great thank you to everyone who keeps this podcast on the go. That includes our patrons over on Patreon and our Bestseller Academics on the Bestseller Academy. If you want to support the podcast, and why wouldn't you, uh, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Be like our latest supporter, Liz Haberman. Be one of the cool kids and keep us going because we're not just the bestseller experiment. We're the award-winning bestseller experiment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is insane, isn't it? Right, we better, we better just explain to people bit what this is. For <laughs> anyone not on YouTube seeing Mark waving this this amazing podcast. Well, this is really exciting, isn't it? This is this is a quality bit of Perspex, mate, and a bit of a... It's, it's
1: got weight. It's got weight. So we'll talk about this more at the end because we could talk about this for an hour and we don't want to have a, overshadow our very special guest this week. But yes, at The Independent podcast awards uh this week a uh, bestseller experiment won best books podcast and we are absolutely over the moon about it it's just brilliant absolutely brilliant but yes well, more about this later with the other wins we've got our listen. see what happens we have we've our a- listener wins at the end and we've got one, so we've, uh, we've got a win to
0: slip in, haven't we? As well, brilliant exactly, stuff. So stay, yeah, yeah. stay to the end to listen more about the experience of the award ceremony in London that Mark went to, and all the rest of it. Brilliant stuff. Excellent. And I mean, you've been you've been back and forth to London a fair few times, haven't you? Oh my god, it's bonkers week. I was at the MCM Comic Con uh, all weekend last
1: weekend, which was just fantastic. So I did a couple of panels, which I would normally do, it was really good fun. But I had a table the whole weekend, which I haven't done for a few years now. And uh, the difference is back then I had maybe two books. Now I got seven and it was uh, it was fantastic. I I uh, I learned a lot. I sold out of the Crow folk and I realized now I need to take four times as many Crow folk as the other book, because it's the gateway book, it's the first one in the series. I sold my last ever copy, Unbound, you know, Unbound yeah, Paperbacks. I saw,
0: I saw that you put a paper. So my of last ever like copy of
1: heart like paperback, physical copy, right? Because there's... Of of the end of magic. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So, so they're all gone. They're all gone. I mean, I got that must have felt a couple on my show. did what It did that really feel like, did.
0: What did it feel like seeing that book, like, like disappear off into the distance? Like you're it kind of child really, leaving home almost. It was, it was, it was really strange. I mean, I've only got four copies of
1: Robot Overlords left. I think that's out of print now. I need to check that. Um, so, yeah, it was really, really strange. Uh, and it was quite sad. Now, I am working on a sequel to The End of Magic and I'm going to relaunch them next year. In fact, I'm thinking May Comic-Con, that's a good deadline to try and get everything sorted. So The End of Magic will be back in paperback, but I'm going to have new artwork on it. I'm going to completely oh, revamp that and the second one. So, uh, so yeah, that's and exciting. it was just great. i ran out of bookmarks. I've woefully underestimated... How much people like a free bookmark? Because people, if they're in two minds, or they say, oh, is it on Kindle? Is it on Audible? Is it? And you go, yeah, yeah, here's a bookmark. Uh,
0: Oh, bookmark love a free bookmark. It's almost like a kind of a mini business card, but it's also something physical that they can take home and then it reminds them of yeah. the book where yeah. they can I mean, buy it i mean people took photos of the books as well and stuff like that so that yeah. helped but
1: yeah so lesson learned there so yeah it okay. was just great to see lots lots of new readers and old friends uh, a big shout out to our friend phil oddy who does the 200 word a day challenge anti-sun i hope the lightsaber training went well and no limbs were lost it can get quite aggressive in there so uh, yeah it was it was a fantastic weekend definitely definitely going back um, so mr so. d any any news on the non-fiction
0: front well yes, I've actually I've I'm I'm there's a lot of background stuff. This is kind of a big build up for next year, but I've I've actually put the website together. Got the logo, got Whoa. the first post, but it's not out there. All I will say though is Google is incredibly fast at indexing. Yeah. Like literally within within about 2 hours because the the word of Okay, so here's a little bit of a teaser. The word that I've I've come up with a word that doesn't exist. I really registered don't. the domain name of it. It's never been on Google before, but literally within two hours of me launching the website, there it was. And I thought, this is mad how quickly, like, something comes into existence that never existed. Like, in the whole, it's never been mentioned in any, not even the word, in any text, like, going back through history. Uh, But it's an eight-letter word. Ooh, and it's, okay. I could not believe, it's like one of those moments, Mark, when it happened, I looked at it and went, oh yeah, but this is going to be like, there'll be some blooming great corporation that uses this word or this. And I typed it in and when I pressed the button and nothing came up and That's then I went to see unusual. the dot com, I thought this is, this is fate. This is destiny. This is the word. Yeah. And I, I want to tell you a little quick story of how this came about because. For many, many years, you probably know that I've been working on this concept called 4,000 Saturdays. Mm. And um, there was a book that came out a couple of, I think about a year ago, called 4,000 Weeks. Yes. And it's become a number one New York Times bestseller. (laughs) I'm going to be talking (laughs) more about this. I didn't want to bring it up. (laughs) No, no, I'm going to be talking more about this because I found out about it from people, like, contact me saying, have you seen this? Have you seen it? And I'm like, ooh. um, Anyway, so there's a whole (laughs) interesting backstory Mm. to what I was meant to be doing, which is writing a book called 4,000 Saturdays. And now how I've had to, not had to pivot, but decided to pivot and how this whole new world has opened up in a really beautiful way. So great, great story, but I'm going to save that for a bit later on because again, it could take well, 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 you for like three yeah. days over that, but yeah. um, it's just mind blowing what's happening. Like it's just like, you just, you just keep, Following little kind of doors that open, and you see where they go, and um, yeah, it's really exciting stuff. Anyway, let's 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 dive in and talk about our guests this week, Mark. Our absolutely cracking episode this week with Mira V.
1: Shah. Uh, Mira is a British African Indian author and legal writer who lives in North London with a husband, three good dogs, and one mediocre cat. Now, before cat owners come at me, that's from Mira's own bio. I love cats. Okay, <laughs> that's a good disclaimer mark. It could have got nasty out there. <laughs> uh, Mira studied history uh, before practicing as a city lawyer, and during the pandemic, Mira wrote her first ever, ever novel, *Her* psychological drama and we talk about that we also discuss getting into character when writing her brilliant blog piece that came out in march this year on managing the expectations of new authors and that went viral it's picked up by the bookseller it's brilliant
0: link in the show notes and how she was able to heal through writing brilliant stuff so let's dive in and listen to mark chatting with the inspirational Mira v charl
1: Mira Sharp, welcome to the bestseller experiment how are you today
2: Oh, I am very well, thanks. I'm very excited to be here.
1: Very excited to have you on. We're very excited <laughs> about the paperback publication of her your amazing debut novel, which is upon us any minute now, if not already. Uh, and it's it's absolutely cracking thriller, getting amazing reviews, and it's a story about oh, female friendships and how we think we know people. T- tell us more about her.
2: Yeah, exactly that. So, um, whilst it has sort of explores many themes sort of like young adult grief and loneliness and there's a bit of race and privilege in there as well. Um, You are quite right, Mark, essentially is at its heart about the nuances and complexities um, of female friendship. And so it's set on this sort of it's kind of a psychological drama, I would say, probably more on the drama end than the thriller, thriller end of things. But it's set on this domestic North London suburban street um, and it centers on these two characters, these two young women in their 20s. And um, so we've got Rani on one hand, who um, she is a stay at home mum of two. And she sees the world through sort of her tiny shoebox flat that she rents with her partner, Joel. Um, And it's sort of very apparent when you read that Rani is quite depressed, she's lonely, she's resentful. Her life is just not how she thought it would be. Um, And when we meet her, we realise that she's sort of at that point of desperation in her life. Um, So, yeah, on the flip side... Uh, we have Natalie, who is basically an antithesis of Rani, um, in the sense that she is a successful commercial lawyer. She's just sort of married handsome Charles, and they've bought this incredible mansion house just across the road from Rani. Um, she is sort of one of those women that's sort of effortlessly put together, no matter what. Um, she's, you know, you almost don't even believe it, but she she is. Um, and Rani sort of looks at her and thinks, you know, this is the perfect woman. This is who I aspire. To be um, my whole my whole life, and um, but what is really interesting about Natalie is that um, despite the sort of perfect world she's created for herself, inside she's sort of cripplingly lonely, and she doesn't really know why. Um, and if you read if you read her you will find out <laughs> so, excellent yeah.
1: stuff excellent stuff now what I love about this is is the, the the structure of the narrative you've got dual first person narratives of Natalie and Rani which really gives the story pace uh, so how, how aware of you were of that pacing and how did you manage that pacing was it a simple kind of a b a b kind of structure or did you spend more time with one character and then flip to another how did that work
2: um so what's interesting is I actually really enjoyed it because I think um I know a lot of people sort of um stay away from writing that dual person narrative because it's kind of hard to differentiate them um within sort of them themselves and sometimes the characters can blend into blend blend into each other, but I think what's what was quite good about her is that they were so different so they started off at such different points in their lives you know Rani as I mentioned before was sort of depressed and she sees the world you know half class empty whereas Natalie on the surface is sort of walking on clouds Um, so in that way it was quite easy but as the novel shifts you kind of see this like um, almost opposite trajectories almost so Natalie sort of as her sort of Past is revealed, as the truth is revealed, she changes. And and Rani herself, she grows, She, she grows in confidence, she grows in determination, she finds some purpose. Um, so it's almost like they kind of flip on themselves. So, in that way, it was it was sort of different to maybe other books where um the characters are quite. Um, similar and you know they share similar parts but I so yeah I kind of loved going on this journey with with Rani and Natalie um, but I have to say a lot of it Mark came out in the edit with my editor because there were times where you know, I would get comments like, "This sounds more like Natalie." Um, right. This sounds like something Natalie would say, and then you know, so that kind of stuff does happen. Um, but that's what
1: editors are for. So. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Thank God for editors. Yeah. Thank um, you. For exactly when, that. when you're writing in that first person, and I'm writing something at the moment that's in first person, and I find mm. that it kind of helps to get into character a bit without getting too woo-woo. Did you Did you get into character? Did you get into a certain kind of mindset when you're writing? You know, Natalie and Rani?
2: Yeah, it's so it's that's so interesting you say that because um because it's my debut novel and like I don't care what writers say, but I really do think that there is in some way they are autobiographical oh, yeah. in some way or form. And like I think a lot of people, because Rani, like myself, is British Indian, would think that maybe identifying with Rani more. But um actually I could definitely see myself. Um, so there's parts of me in both of those characters. So, you know, I I have a Sort of background in law, so like Natalie is my sort of mm. successful commercial lawyer. I wasn't as successful as she was. I gave up pretty, pretty <laughs> soon. Um, but sort of, I I could sort of delve into that past. Whereas sort of Rani, the experience that she has with race, the experience she has with you know being part of two cultures but not really feeling like she belongs in either, um, that's something that I can identify with. So. I definitely found it really therapeutic to write sort of like putting on my hat and then, but then kind of toying at the extremes of it as well, like playing with the extremes of that characters. Um, So yeah, um, it was, it was really, it was really interesting. The
1: other, the other fun (laughs) thing when, when you write a dual narrative like this and you're in the first person is you will see Natalie through Rani's eyes and Rani through Natalie's eyes. Uh, Talk about those moments. Were they revealing? Did they help you as a writer at all?
2: Yeah. Like, that's that's such a good point because it's like with rani when she first meets natalie she's like wow she's like perfect she's someone i've always wanted to be um but as she sort of delves in closer like and the reader follows her on this journey she realizes and actually she herself at the end of the novel i can't really remember what i um it verbatim despite the fact that i did write it um she kind of goes to this revelation point going actually like i was really like prejudiced in the way that I saw you like I saw you as this perfect woman that like nothing could touch you um but like how wrong I was like how wrong I was to think that and like that's kind of the flawed perception part of this novel whereas you know I think Natalie sort of saw Rani or even like Charles kind of sees Rani as this like stay-at-home mom that doesn't have anything going for her she you know she's wearing baggy Clothes and her hairs or mess and stuff like that, and so she he completely underestimates Rani, as you'll find out. And um, hmm. and um, Rani sort of is really spearheading a lot of a lot of the novel, and it's, it's her drive and it's her determination that sort of reaches that that conclusion, really, of the novel. So so yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's definitely that. Um, it's definitely that.
1: Now, you mentioned there about not being able to quote it verbatim. This is this is. <laughs> I mean, we're going to talk about. And managing the expectations of authors and their readers later on, but this is one of these yeah. things you you will get you you'd have written this two three years you might not have looked at it for two years and people go that thing on page seventy four you like well, I, well, I have no idea what you mean um, exactly. so don't don't worry about that but this was her was pandemic book you you wrote it during during lockdown and. And you're like, this is you and your husband in a flat with three dogs and a cat. Yeah. And you wrote it in three months, is that right? Yeah, I wrote
2: it in three months. I mean, wow. Mark, it was either that or divorce, honestly. <laughs> like, it was like, I had two options. Like making banana bread wasn't cutting it. So no. like, um, yeah, no, I think it was one of those things where I never actually sort of intended or kind of wanted to be a writer as such. It never, it never really occurred to me. But I'm one of those people that like, I kind of am very purpose driven. So once I set myself a task, I I will generally complete it. Um, and and the novel was that it was something that I I needed this kind of escapism from what was happening um, in in the world mm-hmm. um, and. This this novel, the claustrophobia and the novel, the fact that it was all about sort of this this quiet suburban street in London, and it kind of reflected my own experience um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people's experiences of living through the pandemic. So, yeah, it was it was sort of therapeutic for so many reasons. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it also saved our marriage. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I, I hope my husband isn't
1: listening. But but, yeah. I, I mean, for me, I had a, I had a second book in a contract to write at the beginning of lockdown, and it, be, it it, was difficult at first, but it became my happy place. It became oh, the place wow. I went to to get, to get away from what was on the news. Was that what it was like for you?
2: Yeah, you're, you're, you're so right. Like, I think, like, a lot of people, um, I kind of stopped watching the news after a while, like, I'd kind of dip in, but I did find that it, it was, um, it put you in a, in a dark place that you were kind of already in and, and you, um, you needed to escape from. And, um, I was exactly the same as you, Mark. Like, I would... I would I had a sort of day job I still have a day job um but I when I sort of switched off um for the end of the day like I think 2020 was really good weather-wise so we were like really fortunate to have like a Mm. small little patio area as part of our flat and so I would just kind of go out there with a glass of wine and I would just just keep writing keep writing throughout the evening and it was it was amazing um as you know very well escaping into a different world that's so yeah. different to your own but also so similar to your own so yeah, yeah. no it's great
1: and was there a sense of this being locked down and everything was there a sense of i kind of have to do this now or i'll never get this opportunity again was that kind of the feeling yeah yeah
2: i think i think you're right so i was um i actually was furloughed for um right. two weeks so whilst i wrote um the book in three months like i wrote a massive part of it um in those two weeks and um, so that was in itself like when we didn't we didn't have we have three dogs but we didn't have sort of children or anything um so in that sense i wasn't having to deal with homeschooling which i don't know mm-hmm. how people manage oh, to no. do that
1: plus no. God, no. work
2: as well so we in that way we were kind of blessed um, mm-hmm. and and so and I found myself with a lot more time in my hands so it was definitely um yeah it was definitely sort of a now or never thing for me like I found myself with the time to be able to write a novel um, in in a shorter space of time than maybe I would have done if there hadn't been a pandemic um but yeah it was also I kind of did this course as well which I thought was really useful for accountability I don't know if you've probably heard about the Curtis Brown course Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So it kind of coincided with the pandemic. Um, I think I applied for it in January of 2022. It was the three month sort of selective one. And I said to myself, if I if I get onto it, like I have to, because they're not cheap, these courses, let's be honest. I so I said not. to myself, <laughs> yeah, well, they're really not. Um, and so I really I said to myself that if I if I get onto it, like I have to make the most out of this. Like um, I have to get to the end of get to the end of the novel. So yeah. yeah yeah
1: let's go I, and let me know if you're okay talking about we spoke about it before the recording but mm. um your mum passed away when I think you were 19 yeah and, yeah and she did, Yeah, that's what in a way that sort of steered you towards writing can can you talk about that yeah. and how that yeah how that of
2: course like so I as I mentioned sort of earlier I've never been one of those people that ever considered writing as as a job as a profession as a job mm. like I I was absolutely a voracious reader um, and that was sort of my mum's doing. We used to go to the library every weekend and I would borrow all these books and just get through them really quickly. And I I sort of always um, found comfort in books, but in the reading side of things. I never actually it never even occurred to me to consider, um, writing. And, um, I mean, it's not to say that I wasn't making up stories like we do as kids, but it's, you know, the kind of transition from making up stories to actually considering yourself as a writer is very different. Um, but, uh, for me, yeah, it was sort of, um, my mum sort of, she was diagnosed very suddenly with, um, a very aggressive form of cancer. And then within a couple of months, she'd passed away and, I was, um, yeah, young adult, 19, finished university. Um, and it wasn't, I found grief, like grieving for her, like pretty much impossible. It's almost like it didn't fit within, within the world that I had, like where it was just sort of focused on finding a job or having fun or, you know. So I think I spent a lot of my early, early 20s in kind of denial because it was the only form of survival for me yeah. um I didn't really have that the means of an outlet or anything um and it was only sort of um at some point when I thought like um I meant mentally I just I think I just sunk in my grief and I just I found my to a point where I couldn't get out of bed like it was really bad it really hit me and I think mm-hmm. it was just all this internalization of it and I thought I needed to find something. And I just remember this moment of like switching on my laptop, um, just going to a Word document and just writing like whatever, literally whatever I was thinking, I just wrote it down on a page. um, And and then I read it back, obviously, like a few weeks later. And, and I kind of thought, wow, it's like, it wasn't so much reading it back, but it was the process of writing that I thought, I actually feel a little bit better. I actually feel like um more myself like kind of um because it's kind of it's private thoughts that you don't feel like you can tell other people because you want to protect them and stuff so yeah it was exactly that like I it was I came to writing through writing about my grief um and sort of healing through writing um and that's when I kind of realized that I potentially could write like I actually had the ability to you know um vocalize things that could resonate with people Mm. and that's when yeah and that's when i realized that potentially maybe i could be a writer i could i could write a novel so so yeah that's a a long-winded way of how how i came to writing so yeah
1: That's amazing. That is, and it is. There's a lot. I mean, we've said this on the podcast a lot. There's a lot to be said just for getting the thoughts out of your head onto paper. It's a great way of processing complex things that are just swirling around in your mind. Just getting them on the page just helps make sense of them, doesn't it? So
2: exactly. I think a lot of people do morning pages. Mm Have you heard of morning pages? yeah, Yeah. yeah, Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: And and that's like, I mean. Yeah, my mornings are a bit different with three dogs. I don't think I'll have, but I, I think if I, yeah, I think it's one of those things where it, if it performs a habit and you have to do it, like it's a it's a compulsion. So, yeah.
1: Well, talking about writing habits, you are, as I understand, a write-everyday person and you've got, you know, you've got a, a full-time job and all the other things and dogs and yes. there's, you know, all sorts of other stuff on the way. Yeah. Um, so tell us about your writing habit and how you've developed that.
2: Yeah, of course. So, um, when I wrote my sort of debut novel, um, I, I very much was like a right everyday person. So I would sort of write, um, in the morning, um, before I started work. And then as I mentioned in the evening when I switched off, so it was very much, um, and then sort of when, um, and even and even after that, I would kind of get up at five a.m. and have sort of a couple of hours before um, everyone else in the household w- woke up and stuff like that. But um, I, it, I haven't. It's, it's sort of changed this year because I'm pregnant, so I can't. The thought of actually waking up at five in the morning is just not happening <laughs> for me. So I'm actually really lucky. I managed to um, whilst I'm working full time, I managed to do compressed hours. I'm negotiate that with my right. yeah. So. So it gives me Mondays as I'm writing time. So I'm doing full time within Tuesday to Friday, which is which are long days, but at least Monday is my designated writing, and I can pretend I'm a full time writer for one day, and it's (laughs) It's glorious. It's good. (laughs) It's good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I I do think though the one thing I have to say about that though is I feel like writing every day um, is in some way important important for for me like I want to get back to that because I think when you have that break you have to sink yourself back into the story and it's almost harder yeah, it is, yeah. um yeah it is, isn't it because it's, a, it's like a different world and when you're living your real world you kind of forget what it's sort of like to be absorbed in it so mm. i feel like if you can if you can write every day even if it's like 200 words a day or something um i feel like that's really really important habit to sort of yeah
1: we love those two hundred words a day. We've we got the oh, whole, yeah, no, whole thing correct. about it.
2: <laughs> I didn't even make. Do you know what? I didn't even make the connection until you said it. I was like, oh yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> let's let's talk about. Um, uh, a blog piece that you wrote which ended up in the bookseller I've, I don't know what came first actually, the bookseller or the blog piece uh, you can tell me mm. which uh, is titled Launch Day A Letdown mm. and it is a really powerful piece about managing the expectations of authors and you were talking about how you weren't feeling excited about launch day you said mm-hmm. you were more excited about going to the tip that weekend which speaking as a as a middle-aged man that it can sometimes be the highlight of my week um, <laughs> but i i have to confess i've had the same feelings about launch days particularly mm. if you're not you know your publisher's not letting off fireworks and doing a mm. big uh you know so um mm. tell us about the piece and how that came about and and the reaction to it
2: yeah for sure like um so what I found since I've sort of been part of the writing community is that um there's a lot of like good news like on, on social media, like people sort of talking about positive experiences and like you know, and, and I think that is there is definitely a place for that. Don't get me wrong. Like I think those stories are really inspiring and um they motivate you as a writer. But I feel like what that does is it creates like a false perception of the industry. So Um, and I, I get it. Like I know as a writer, you want to sort of create this image of being successful because, you know, that is the positive image would encourage people to buy your books. And, and and I get that. So I think, think writers have this pressure to sort of portray things in, in a certain light. Um, and I personally found that quite hard. Like I'm, I'm a very honest person, perhaps to my detriment sometimes, (laughs) but, um, that is who I am. And I I don't want to change that. And so I feel sometimes that's hard because, you know, when all you're seeing is positive experiences, but you know that that's not the reality, like even the most successful authors have setbacks in their careers. Um, and I feel like we should we should be able to be honest. We should feel like we have we can speak truthfully about, um, you know, our experiences. And I think it's only when you get to that successful point, do you feel like you can say, oh, you know, I I am who I am, but I have about 10 manuscripts in my drawer that didn't, that, you know, yeah. were completely ignored by agents. It's only then you feel, but that but that shouldn't be the case, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it was, um, yeah, it was sort of publishing day. I was and sort of looking at, and the whole publishing experience, like, Whilst whilst I've had a good experience with my publisher, I think a lot of it was the fact that there's things that are out of my control. Yes. There's things that are out of their control. Yeah. Um and so expectations um are, are kind of never you know your expectations are never sort of matched by reality um and and if they are you're really lucky don't get me wrong you're really lucky and that does happen or sometimes expectations are surpassed but um in most people's cases i think you have an expectation and then the reality is very different and Mm. and that's fine we should be able to talk about these things because as we know it's one of the most competitive industries ever like and um, sometimes it's not about talent, it's about timing, it's about luck, it's about so many different things. Um, so yeah, I guess it was it was that. It was, because um, I heard sort of anecdotal stories about authors on publishing day, like crying in the shower, or like, you know, things like that, because you do expect you have, you put a lot of pressure on that day that like your life is suddenly going to change because this is something you've wanted for like years, decades even. But, but actually it's just a, just a day and you're still, you know, having to get up and wash the dishes and you know nothing really changes. Um, so yeah, I think that was what I wanted to do with that piece was to sort of create a more balanced, um, yeah, create a more balanced picture of, of of the job because that's something that I hadn't seen before.
1: So, no, I, th- yeah. I I I loved it, and uh, I shared <laughs> it with everyone I knew, and <laughs> I I'd be interested to know what the reaction was like because I mean it's... Uh, I recently, one of my publishers was late with a payment and there's a there's like a yeah. private Facebook group for authors that I'm in where I had a bit, I had a bit of a moan, uh, <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> I was, oh, You're you entitled know. to. Exactly. And <laughs> um, the reaction was was a big kind of 50-50 split by some people going, yeah, right on, and other people going, oh, don't make a fuss. Don't oh, make a fuss or you'll get – did you get that? Did you get any of that?
2: Um, so I did see like a bit of backlash um, and it was sort of um, – I, I'm pretty sure it was um about my article. Um and the backlash was um I think there was just maybe a few successful authors that had been doing this for I don't know, decades. And I think they were in a really sort of good position. And they kind of there was an element of, well, you know, this happened to us, so you need to sort of suck it up, and it's just the way things roll. Um and then and then on the other flip side you sort of had people that were um had been trying to get an agent they've been trying to sort of get published for um however long and there was an element of oh she should just be grateful like she's got a publishing deal like all her dreams have been made like and I get it I get how hard you know I I've struggled in in different careers I I, I get how hard it can be when you're when you're trying so hard and you see other people make it and you don't know why yeah. but um i wasn't saying i wasn't grateful i right. i'm extremely grateful i think it's more just this is what it means to be a publishing like be a, be a published author um and maybe we should talk about the the sort of highs and the lows um, i in, in 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 equal measure um so yeah
1: Yeah, the realities of it. And I I do a talk for new authors or people just graduating. Mm. And I include an excerpt from your blog piece, particularly the list of 5 a.m. wake-ups, working 50-hour week, cancelling social plans, editing on trains, planes and at the hairdressers, which I've done... I've done yes. all of those writing on exactly. holiday, you know, and you, exactly. I, I do, and you see the little faces kind of, Ugh! yeah. <laughs> but now they know. Now they, yeah. now they have some because you're right. No one talks about this stuff. No you one know, talks not, about it, and, and also you uh, kind
2: of forget, don't you? Because a lot of people, it was different for me because I kind of wrote my book in 3 months and it was sort of the pandemic that kind of spearheaded me to do so but you know most people have been writing the one book for um maybe years and um, yes. or sort of writing for years and you kind of forget that like you've had all this time to perfect your book right but then as soon as you get a publishing deal um, everything is about deadlines and like yeah. if you're on a one a book a year contract which and um, most commercial authors are like um it's it's really tough um if you're balancing that with a day job with caring responsibilities with with everything so um finding that time is really really hard and then then you've got the whole aspect of producing the quality that people expect that readers expect so it is it's a it's a really a hard juggle
1: yeah Um, yeah it's and it's i mean my mission and part of the podcast is to let people know we want to inspire people but we Mm. also don't want to be all candy floss and fluff we need to let people know this is hard work you know like you say you might be working on book one for 10 years and then they want book two in 12 months you know so you need to get a thing i mean people go on courses i mean i don't suppose the curtis brown course told you anything about this did they you know the the realities of it
2: i mean this is the thing like they they what the one thing the Curtis brown course does is that you feel like a writer and that's but that's potentially a thing what it did for me is that before i'd never felt like a writer and they tell you to call yourself a writer from day one so i think it's like you feel like you're part of something but i do find mark actually what's missing in this industry is is sort of transparency about things so um And I feel like publishers can probably get better about that sort of if you're, you know, we we all know what it's like if you're a midlist author, you're a, you know midlist. although you're a super lead title. Um there are different expectations, but also different sort of maps for your for your book um and different goals from your book and different spends for your book. Um, and I just feel like there isn't that transparency. Um yeah. which and I think that's missing and that's sort of part of the expectations piece as well. So um.
1: well I th- I mean I think <laughs> uh you've we've heard a couple of publishers and now putting together welcome packs for authors that do give them ideas of, you know, the strange terminology that we use and and what to expect and that kind of thing. And that all happened after, that all happened after your bookseller article. So I think you have been, yeah, no, I think that and the whole conversation around mental health for authors, I think you've been a great force for change. So, you know, I think that's brilliant. Yeah,
2: hopefully. And I will continue to be honest as much as I can, (laughs) as much (laughs) as I'm allowed to be.
1: (laughs) Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Um, Let's, Talk about what's coming next. Uh, your second mm-hmm. novel is The House Sitter coming in 2024. What yeah. can you tell us about that?
2: Oh, I love this novel. I hope other people do too. <laughs> um, I tell you why, Mark, because when I wrote my debut, I wasn't thinking about sort of like the market, I wasn't thinking about genre, I wasn't thinking about readers what they're looking for I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff I was just thinking about what I wanted to write um and hoping that it becomes a novel and eventually may sell one day I wasn't thinking but but I think with the house sitter um over that course of the year I learned so much about it like I actually kind of did research I spoke to authors um I read the bookseller all this kind of stuff so um why I love this novel is that it's not just because um it's a story that came from my my head but it's also it's it's sort of my commercial novel it's kind of I know where I I am I know my publisher wants me to be in terms of genre and I know hopefully how to deliver it so it's um it, it sort of has has a hook where you know this woman wakes up um in this room and she's sort of next to this dead person, but she's got no memory of what happened. Um, And um, she runs, she flees, but um, she's actually a house sitter. So she gets this job um, in this rural hilltop, beautiful village in Italy, house sitting. She's like, I need to sort of go somewhere to clear my mind. Hopefully things will come back to me. I'll know what happened that night. So off she goes and she's there, And slowly memories are starting to come back to her. But then suddenly this family turns up at the house and she's like, why is this family there? Um, You know, I've been sort of invited as a house sitter, but they've turned up. Um, They have no idea who she is. She has no idea who they are until she realizes they're the family of the person who she woke up to, like woke up next to who was dead. So it's like, it's kind of that. So it's almost like a fa- a massive family drama with this outsider that's been thrust into their like web of lies and secrets. So, so yeah, I um Sounds really great. enjoyed writing it. It's it was really complicated, and I'm still editing it now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm, I'm hoping I can pull it off. I really, really hoping I can pull this one. <laughs> but yeah,
1: a good editor will see us through. A good yes, editor exactly. will definitely see. Us yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you you mentioned Italy there as well. Any research trips to Italy was that or have you been there before or
2: well you know I'm obsessed with Italy I um, got married in Italy and I would like to think in a past life I was Italian but right. unfortunately it's not the case I can speak Italian um, or I could at one point speak Italian it's now quite rusty but yeah I'm just I'm obsessed with the the sort of country and the culture and the lifestyle and so I knew at one point I would want to set um set this like set a novel in Italy but yeah I actually went to this um this place where the novel set which I won't don't kind of ruin now but it's like really incredible because it's like as I said a hilltop um village um like many Italian villages are but you have to access it the only way to access it is through this suspended footbridge which connects it to the mainland so then I thought because there's quite a few island books but this is essentially it's not an island but it could be an island and that is what happens in the house sitter um yeah it becomes an island but i won't say anymore Brilliant. um but yeah Brilliant. so yeah it has that element of seclusion and cut off from the world Love so yeah it. it's a great setting great setting for a novel
1: sounds like a great hook great setup fantastic stuff what well, mira thank you so much for speaking to us today Hi. uh folks her is out there in paperback now or if not very very soon i'm not sure when the episode's yes. going out but yes grab a copy uh and also we'll put a link to that blog piece in the uh, show notes as well so you can read that but in the meantime it's been a Real pleasure speaking to you, Mira, and hope to speak to you again soon.
2: Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> I love, I love, Mark, how Mira talked about this idea of books being partly autobiographical, because I think it's a real honest approach, isn't it, to actually say that out loud? Because I, I always, I mean, we've, you know, there's a lot of the authors that have been interviewed on this show. And when you listen to their story and then you listen to their characters, you kind of think in the background, is that you? Or is that partly you? And I think, I think not many people like to admit how much of their characters have parts of themselves in publicly at least yeah especially especially the villains i mean this is this is the problem
1: <laughs> is that When we say autobiographical, let's let's define terms because it's not Mira hasn't gone out and murdered people or whatever, you know, or anything like that or plotted a murder. And just as uh, Agatha Christie never did or anything or did she, Um, you know, I've not I'm not a witch or anything like that. But the novels are an expression of you. And this is this is one of the most important things you can do as an author is find your voice and finding your voice means taking a stance on particular things and and putting yourself in the shoes of different characters and seeing the world through their eyes. But it's all filtered through you. And that, like I say, that includes the villains. You know, that includes the people who say the despicable things in your book, the unspeakable things. Now, that doesn't mean we approve of their actions. You can write a character that's bigoted, but it doesn't make you a bigot. And it also doesn't mean that we shouldn't write about these things. I mean, there's a surprising number of people out there mostly on um, review sites who <laughs> can't get the head around that concept. But mm. we, we have to tap into that darkness sometimes just as we tap into the light and the hope and the fears that we have. And this is, this is how we make sense of the world by, yeah. by investigating those, uh, those dark moments and those dark thoughts and, uh, and, and, you know, expressing them in an exciting way as as part of a narrative, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think. The the biggest compliment I think you can get as a writer is when someone says, oh, you know, you, you write just like you talk kind of thing. Uh, mm. I, because I think then that's kind of when you found your voice. You're not being pretentious anymore. You're not trying to pass yourself off as an Agatha Christie or or whoever your writing heroes might be. And it took me a long time to figure that out. I was always trying on other people's shoes, trying to be other people. And in the end, I was like, actually, I can be me. And, and Mira discovered this very early on, which is, I think that's the key, I think, to hitting the ground running as a writer is, is is figuring out your voice and opening opening up and being honest about that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I remember John York talking on the show about this kind of two sides to us—the kind of the dark side or the shadow mm-hmm. side of us—and the mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the 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 person of good, you know, trying to you know in terms of the positive side of, of our personality. And mm. I think in some ways you know, there's an opportunity for writers through their protagonist antagonist to kind of spread out the things that they experience in life across multiple characters as well. Mm. And I think it's really important to do it because I mean, we can talk a bit later on about, you know, the importance of writing as a, as a way of healing and also as a way of kind of working through, I mean, healing is often working through things that you're dealing with. And sometimes those things you're dealing with, are thoughts, you know, ideas, Mm. concepts, um, and you get to play with those when you're writing them into your character. So I think it's fascinating. And um I wonder if many authors actually, when they they don't realize they're doing it, but when they look back, they have a moment when they maybe even years later and they read characters and they've had a bit of distance from where they were at in that time in their life and they think, oh yeah, that was I see what I was doing there. And it might become clear later. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's not, it's not yeah, clear cut, is it? It's not like No, no. I mean you can't I've, put it in a I've, box. I've,
1: a big turning point for me, my first play was basically about my family. And it was very honest about my family. Uh, and um, that's why it worked. You know, uh, I I did have to talk to my mum and dad. <laughs> I said, I'm basically putting versions of you on stage. I'm playing you, dad, and Claire is playing you, mum. Are you okay with that? Sort of, uh, and dad joked about suing me. Um, <laughs> but I think because it had that honesty, it resonated with people. Not just And it, not just people who knew me, people who didn't know me they recognize something in that truthfulness and honesty and that that's what makes the difference i think
0: yeah sorry i just had a really bizarre thought imagine if your dad had sued you how successful your play would have been and then you could have paid him off and you'd be like this famous playwright we wouldn't Um, even be here mark because you'd be doing broadway like writing broadway shows and stuff The way your mind works, works I know, Sorry, terrifying. it just went there. I don't know why. I just thought, how much? No, do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because when you said that, I instantly remembered a story that I read years ago about a child in America suing his parents. Parents. Yeah. It's happened quite do a bit, me- hasn't it? Yeah. I know. And I, bit. and I just, and when that, when I read that story, it just was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> I just couldn't get my head around it. And and it's just it just popped up then, and I thought, well, it's a big yeah. newspaper article. So, anyway, brilliant stuff. Let's also talk about this idea of dual narrative because this is yes. a very interesting thing that people might, firstly, like probably worth explaining what it is for people who haven't come across it. And I I didn't fully understand it you know, before I kind of got into this world. But how do you how would you describe dual narrative to someone that hasn't uh, wouldn't know? that versus the difference. Well, one of the big choices you make as a writer when you're telling a story is, okay,
1: whose perspective am I telling this from? If it's a crime novel, are you the cop? Are you the perpetrator? Are you the victim? You know, if you're writing a science fiction novel, are you the human side of things? Are you the aliens or whatever it is? Which character in your ensemble is this story being told through? Now, with the dual narratives, you you pick two characters and you switch between the two. Gone girl. Great example of that. Uh, and Back to Reality, a great example of that. So which we did. I mean, back to reality, we did uh, dual narratives, uh switching between Johanna and Joe. Uh, and but that was in the third person. So there was still a little bit bit of remove. What Mira's doing with her book, her, is she's in the first person perspective. So you're you are, you know, I opened the door, I did this, blah, blah, blah. It's that first person perspective. And which, funnily enough, is what I'm doing at the moment co-writing with another writer but Mm. i'm just doing the man and my co-writer is doing the woman she's writing the woman so we are alternating chapters and we're writing stuff and sending it over and and it's absolutely fascinating and Mm. i do kind of have to get in character for that uh i have to because i that first person thing really puts you in their shoes and and you know we talked about that autobiographical thing i mean this person i'm writing is a killer and not entirely reformed person you know not as enlightened as as perhaps mark stay in the 21st century is um, so it's uh you know it's 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 fun to write it's fun to write and play play act that kind of person as, as you're putting it down so uh I, I and if you're doing this on your own and having to switch between the two characters uh there's potential it could drive you completely potty but <laughs> Samira's managed it brilliantly
0: we should also say as well, I mean, I'm just looking at the Bacteriality book here, um, mm. that we, this is something, and you kind of mentioned it, but to be to be clear, it's something that people do chapter by chapter typically. I mean, if you did that in the middle of chapters and you started switching characters, it would get incredibly confusing, confusing yeah. for the reader. Can so be what- done, can be done can be done but we and we even to have that do you remember we had this discussion with the book where
1: yes we got the shoe d- and we, the trainer we, we got, got the, the, shoe the because dm and e- the,
0: uh, even though no. even though we're switching characters each chapter we still decided to have some kind of symbol and in this case we've got the the the, the you know the dm shoes and the yeah, yeah, the ballet shoe and was then it ballet well, shoes
1: or was it just flats i think it was flats. flats it? sorry it was yeah, flats yeah, yeah, so
0: yeah, yeah, yeah you're right And that, so in that case, it's for weird enough, I just opened it on a chapter where it's got both of them, which means both of them are together. See, normally there's just the one shoe and the shoe represents which character we're now with. And so it's like, we even felt like we had to have some visual cue just to help people because, Mm. because you wouldn't know otherwise, would you? Like if you just start reading something in first person. How do you know? Well, you can do which, the
1: you can do the George R. R. Martin thing, which we're doing in this new book. So you could you could have Fred, uh, Mary, Fred, Mary, Fred. Just have that as the chapter title, so people yeah, go, okay, right,
0: and we are around. But I thought I like the way we did it. I think that was a bit more fun and inventive yeah, rather it was than just being yeah, it was, <laughs> it was neat and it was so cool because the way it happened was we had the front we had the front cover designed, didn't we? Once we'd yeah. we'd written the book, hadn't we? We got the front yeah. cover designed. And then we had this, and from the front cover, we thought we had these two different shoes that represented different characters. And that's when it then went into the that chapter. That was the first so cover, wasn't it? Yeah, s- yeah, yeah so sometimes yeah. it can it can happen at the end of the process as well. But it's just worth thinking, for anyone listening to thinking, I really like this idea of having these two different narratives going on. You have to kind of also think about how you're going to display that literally to to mm-hmm. the reader as well, so they don't get confused. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Brilliant stuff. Uh, now, also Mira talked about, an incredible thing that happened to her during covid which i know is reverse of what a lot of people experience, which is she went full on into writing and wrote this book in 3 months which is insane now i i was thinking back mark cuz we we recorded all through covid and i it's kind of it's kind of interesting if going back kind of an interesting thing to do one day is to go back and kind of like track it in terms of when it first started we weren't really aware of what was going to happen and yeah. then we started talking about how some people i always remember there were these kind of conversations we had which is some people were just like right i've got time now to write and they went full on and there were loads of other people that went that said i i i don't know what to do with myself yeah. i can't write my creativity has gone out the window and it was it was mm-hmm. almost like this tale of two cities in some ways wasn't it with but, but and- mira sounds like she was very much on the kind of um, yeah, throwing yourself throw, into it. Throw and, yourself and, you into know, it, yeah.
1: either is valid. I think, you know, if you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders, shoulders you know, it's um, it's how can you write? Uh, I mean, at first, the whole COVID thing took all the wind out of my sails. I was on a contract. I had, um, I had to write uh, Babes in the Wood, the second book I had to deliver. Mm. Uh, but I couldn't do it for the first couple of weeks. I was like... Pfft. How do I, you know, how yeah. do I sit and write a novel? The thing that helped was the two hundred word a day challenge. I wrote a short story at first, uh, and that just got me back into the groove again. And then I started on the novel, and it became my happy place. I've 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 used this phrase before, you know. I was uh, and and Mira talks in the interview about visiting the writing world. Well, that's where I go every morning. That is my uh, escape from everything that's on the news or or any kind of real world worries that I might have just sitting in here I'm lucky enough to have a room to do it where I can sit and just escape and have fun with these characters for an hour, 2 hours, whatever it is. And then then I then I'm ready to cope with the real world. That's the other thing. Yeah. I I've, I've got that out of my system and now it's like okay, bring it on. So uh yeah, I can I can understand why people found it overwhelming, but f- uh, for me now writing I've sort of trained myself to to make it my escape to make it my
0: you know the place where i find peace brilliant stuff well listen folks in the extended if you want to join us there we're going to be talking more about this we're going to be talking about a healing through writing which was a huge part of mira's journey especially through the grief of, of losing her mother at a young age we're also going to talk about launch days and that launch days are just the beginning of if you like the birth of your book rather than the ultimate end milestone of when the when the book is launched Um, And also how that, you know, the realities of that and how you deal with that from a a mental health perspective as well. Um, We're also going to look at um, the importance of this idea of having a writing day, dedicating, or what we're going to discuss more is actually more about a writing time. um, If you find that you're super busy and you can't do that. So if you'd like to join us, please pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. And uh, join us there as a patron of this podcast, and you'll get all these wonderful extra goodies. So, Mark, let's talk about some wins this week. Where do you want to start? (laughs) Let's start with our (laughs) listeners. I want to start with our Academy members' listeners. Yeah,
1: we've got some great great ones this week. Um, So, uh, GB Ralph. Uh, whose new book, Poison at Penshaw Hall, which is uh, the Milverton Mysteries book two, number one bestseller on LGBTQ plus mysteries on Amazon, which is fantastic. Brilliant. But uh, Gavin got in touch because he he said um, he was talking about the, the fact that a year ago he released the first book and when he'd reached the end, he added a book two pre-order link at the back but he hadn't written book two yet and he didn't have any clue what it was going to be about, but he knew he had a a precinct, a cast of characters. He was going to go for it. So anyway, he gave himself that deadline and all the time, the pre-orders were building up. Now I'm not going to share the numbers because he's asked us not to, but all I'm going to say is his pre-orders were four times what he had expected, which is amazing. And he's going to be doing it all over again with book three, death in Douglas Glade. uh, And is doing the whole thing again. So I just think, I you know, we've that. talked about deadlines. We've talked about, you know, having that ambition and and building that relationship with readers. And Gavin has absolutely done it. So uh, well, that's, that's just
0: fantastic. Talk about public declarations. Yeah. Print, printing <laughs> it in your book. That's yeah. as good as it gets. I love really that. Is. I think that's really well. Is. And how many more people are going to think, hmm, I should maybe do that? this now because yeah. also it's a good way of testing the market as well like if, if you do get pre-orders that's proof in itself like if you put that at the back of your book and nobody pre-ordered it it's kind of like oh okay fair enough no. <laughs> like, oh, book. Yeah. <laughs> inspires you you're also then knowing that you're writing for an audience even if it's even if it's a small number you know that when you're writing that book that book is going to end up in people's hands yeah. which i think is a one of the challenges we were seeing. if any, is anyone ever going to read this so absolutely fantastic brilliant Brilliant
1: stuff. Um, Over on the Academy, Anne Woodward. She says, I did it. All that faffing about culminated in my sending out my first newsletter today. Now, this is something we talk about a lot. When should you start a newsletter? today and and took that advice and she's off uh she said the the cursing and bad languages stopped emanating from my cabin for a while because she was you know trying to get her head around setting this thing up the tech behind yeah, it. Uh, yeah oh yeah yeah but you know the academy bunch were there the bxp bunch were there everyone chipped in and helped her out and she got there in the end that's one of the important things of, of community um and on the academy as well Katie Wells uh what a day it's been a big win day uh, her new what well, a debut novel a blend of magic which she writes under the pen name. Kate Kenzie, has been released to the wild and arrived on readers' Kindles and homes. To have achieved my childhood dream of being an author is overwhelming, but I can't stop smiling. Some said I'd never do it, but I have. And I've got a mug to prove it. The mug is brilliant. It says, published author, established 2023. Uh, <laughs> so, and she said, the only problem is readers seem to want another book in the same world from me. Well, Maybe. Katie, take a, take a leaf out of Gavin's book there. Um, but it's fantastic. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to so that. Uh, the book is a blend of magic, if you like witches and magic. And who doesn't,
0: uh, do check it out. So huge, huge congrats there. Fantastic. Do you know what? I just thought as well from what Gavin said, and congratulations, Katie. Absolutely brilliant. And, and from what Gavin said, um, it's a great way of building a list. Or continuing yeah, to build a list, yeah. because it doesn't, ha- it doesn't have to be, folks. You don't have to say, for book two pre-order. It could just be, if you want a book two, sign up and tell me. You know, it's like, if you get a certain number of people, sign up, that triggers book two. You know, something around that. Brilliant. And uh, Kate
1: Baker, also on the Academy. Uh, another win from her. She got uh, her first invite as a- an author to a literary literary festival she was at the annual frinton literary festival and she got to read her short story the projectionist which is the which features the the protagonist of her next full length novel uh and uh, she's just achieved a a public declaration to reach uh, to finish the um, uh, 60k uh, uh goal with that one as well just a few days ago so congrats on that but this is brilliant i mean kate Long-standing member of the academy, her wonderful debut novel Maid of Honor* has been an absolute smash. Great reviews for that, and again, she's she's putting it out there. She's she's saying, "Okay, I could have just read from my old book, but here's the new book. Let's keep going. Let's keep going on." So, congrats on that, Kate. That's absolutely fantastic, brilliant.
0: Kate. That's great. Excellent stuff. And-
1: We're recording this last, but by no means least, we're recording this on the 1st of November. And uh, Alan on Twitter, who is at Alan, that's not me, uh, says, perhaps, maybe I'm being too optimistic, but I could do NaNoWriMo and the 200 words a day challenge side by side. It's not a massive challenge. It's achievable. It definitely is. So good luck, Alan, and anyone who's going on the NaNoWriMo epic saga journey uh, over this month. I
0: love that. Why don't you make each day of NaNoWriMo, the first part of it, your 200 word challenge? Just yeah, get yourself not? going. Yeah, there you not? go. You yeah. can yeah. work together. Love it. And is there any more news, Mr. Study? Yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> <laughs> as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, uh, big, uh, when was it? Was it Tuesday? Monday, it, no, it was Monday I, night, I've Monday lost night, count. Monday I've, night. I've, <laughs> it was, it was Monday night because I was still wiped out from the MCM Comic Con. Yeah, um, I got an invite to London's glittering King's Cross, uh, <laughs> to, uh to the uh, the independent podcast awards, uh, where we were shortlisted in the best books podcast uh category. Uh, now, what's interesting about this is it was at king's place which is the big new hot venue at king's cross it's amazing it's uh, and, and it's quite a good venue for podcast a lot of live podcasts do shows there and stuff like that and they were originally when when i first applied because you have to pitch to be you know nominated and all that kind of thing they were going to have the award ceremony at the phoenix arts club which is basically a pub on uh, charing cross road it's uh, it's where Gollants have had Gollants Fest in the past. Uh, and okay. it's, it's, a, it's a lovely venue, but it's small. Um, so they, they had to move it to King's Place, which is massive. I was talking to one of the organisers afterwards, and they they said, 18 months ago, we were terrified no one was going to show up. So the place was rammed, absolutely rammed. And all these amazing podcasts, all on different subjects, and uh, but all independent. You know, None of them are backed by big organisations with loads of money throwing up them. They're not they're the kind of podcasts that don't have ads every 20... You know, minutes or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was great. And and Emma McGowan, who's the creator of of the the Independent Podcast Awards, you know, she was just saying independent podcasts are the cornerstone of podcasting. And it's it's very often just people doing it from their spare bedrooms or garages or the dining room table, you know. So and they often do the most amazing, extraordinary podcasts. So it was it was it was fantastic. So I went in. You know, we've been here before. We've been nominated for awards before and never you know never won anything so that's my kind of you know (laughs) you go in and and you don't expect but i did send you a message before and say well if we win uh what do we you know who should we thank and i had a list of people and we we sorted that out and then i sat down and and the uh, presenter who's a comedian called esther manito who's very funny she was really really good uh she said we're not allowing any speeches tonight and it was just great oh but you know it would have We'd still be doing the ceremony now if they delivered speeches. But what they do, once you get your award, you go off backstage and they interview you backstage. Uh, So there is film of me thanking everyone. Um, but, uh, But yeah, I mean, I sat down, had no expectations. Ours was the third award of the evening so i was like oh bloody hell it's suddenly come around so quite funny. quickly mm. so um yeah and they <laughs> the presenter esther she got our name wrong she called us the bestseller experience which and it's not the first time that's happened
0: that's happened quite. A well few. it is but it is an experience as well though isn't it mark it really, really is an experience but i love yeah, it yeah. do you know i think it i think and we were we were reflecting on this before before the awards. And funnily enough, what was happening with me in Canada is I was sitting there with you on WhatsApp, like bunging you the odd message and you, were, you kind of said you're on your way and da-da-da-da. Yeah, da. Yeah, yeah. And then I didn't hear anything for an hour and I'm like, ah, well, mm. okay, fair enough. And then I realised <laughs> that the clocks are changed. <laughs> oh, right. right. <laughs> actually you were actually in an hour that it hadn't even started. You know, and yeah, there was right, right, right. and then and and then we and but what what I think is something to celebrate with everyone now. Um and we've done we do wins every week, so it's kind of fun to do this, but one of the things that we really want to do is we want to thank every single person who's ever listened to this podcast. And that includes every single person hearing this right now, because we totally recognize that without the listeners, this podcast would just be a private conversation between me and Mark, (laughs) just waffling on each week. But, you know, we've had over a million downloads of this podcast, which which is insane when you think about it. It's like top 1% of all podcasts in the world. Don't, you know, get that. And, um, so thank you to every single person who's listened to the show, told a friend about the show, sent in a story about how the show's helped them, um, written a book because of the show or be inspired to, to to start writing again. You know, we've had so many stories mm. of people doing that. And, you know, this is a collaborative effort. And and not least, um, you know, the backstage team that we have that without them, Mark, it would be impossible to do this podcast, wouldn't it? So we want to say a huge thank you to JD and Dave that really make the magic of this audio each week, and Lisa as well, who does a lot yes. of the admin as well. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, every single author that's ever been on the show, every publicist i mean mean, you know about the publicist right you deal with the publicist you know they work really hard for their authors and there's a lot of conversations that go on and they never get any recognition for setting up interviews and you know helping make things which is often the hardest part (laughs) it is absolutely yeah so thank you to thank you to everyone and uh, we are just so grateful to the to the independent podcast awards and the judges i couldn't believe it when i i you know, because when you hear about award shows, you think, "Oh, okay." I went and looked at the judges, and I'm like, "This is a proper, This is a proper award. Yeah. <laughs> this is not." I mean, there it's, are people from the Times and BBC, yeah, um, national newspapers. This um, is the
1: little booklet. There's one of these in the post to you now. Oh, yeah, so fantastic. Keep an eye for
0: that. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. The, this is like this is a real honour, and so um, we're just so delighted that um, we got nominated and to, to take home the award. I mean, there were, and we, you know, there were a lot of other amazing podcasts on there as well and yeah yeah, yeah. it was amazing being being you know listed with them but but thank you to everyone for making this night like so special now this is a quality bit of perspex here so i and
1: here's the big question who gets custody of the trophy now we've only got one so you know, do you want it for six months and then send it back, or how do you want to do it? Do you know
0: what, Mark? You know, winning the just rec- the recognition of, of of getting this from from the awards is good enough for me. So I want you to put that on your shelf oh, and look you. at that every day. Well, and I, then I've I can got- see it. I can see it in the background when we when yeah. we record our interviews.
1: <laughs> it's all well, good. Like, when, when you're next over, I'll bring it over so you can feel the weight, feel the quality. It's a proper. It's, like,
0: it's got engravings <laughs> and everything, isn't it? It, it? it has. It has. It definitely Brilliant. has. Yeah, Fantastic. amazing evening brilliant well listen folks um it's a great way to finish this show tonight thank you again for listening to the show tonight um mark how can people find us on social media if they want to spread the word we
1: are on the facebook bestseller experiment twitter instagram and threads is at bestseller xp come and say hello uh if you've enjoyed this episode if you've been inspired by Mira, then subscribe uh give us a rating give us a review uh do whatever you can to spread the word because it makes all the difference Brilliant stuff.
0: And folks, if you'd like to get involved, we've talked about 200 Word Challenge quite a bit today, but it's there, 200wordchallenge.com. Just go sign up, try and write 200 words a day. Seven days. You know, if you're not doing NaNoWriMo or if you are doing NaNoWriMo, just just give it a go. It really, really works. And if you'd like to join the newsletter for the podcast, just pop along to the website, bestsellerexperiment.com, and click on the newsletter tab where we will send you weekly updates of all the guests that we've had, what we've learned from the podcast, and links to where you can hear it. So, folks, thank you again. Uh, Mr. Stay, have a fantastic week this week. You too. And it's a goodbye from Mark One and a goodbye from Mark Two. Goodbye. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye.